welcome to Blue Dot, a look at our place in space. I'm Dave Schloen. Hopefully sometime in your life you've had the delightful experience of laying out on a clear summer night watching the Perseid meteor shower in August. The dependable Perseids, as long as the sky is dark, never fail to produce plenty of meteors. But what are these things we call shooting stars, and why do they occur at regular yearly intervals? To answer those questions and more, we have a very special guest. Peter Yeniskus is a meteor astronomer at the SETI Institute in Mountain View, California. Recently, I received a copy of his incredible book, Atlas of Earth's Meteor Showers, and I was blown away by it. It's definitely not for a lay audience, but rather a comprehensive text on the current science of meteors and meteor showers. It's probably the definitive work on the subject, and we're fortunate to have Dr. Yeniskus to join us to bring this incredible work to us at a level we can all understand and relate to. Peter Yaniskus, welcome to Blue Dot. Thank you. We'll get into your book here in just a moment and and Meteors 101, uh, but I'd like to know first about your origins. When, how did you get interested in meteors and meteor science? I got interested in meteors and uh, meteor science when I was a, a young student in astronomy. Um, in my, you know, my first year, I was pretty intimidated by all the other students who knew a lot more about astronomy than I did. Um, but I met a, a person who had started a, a meteor organization in the Netherlands, a group of amateur astronomers uh, who were interested in charting the sky and in, in, in recording uh, what was happening over our heads. Uh, he had a program uh, where he would set up photographic cameras at uh, you know two or more different places and we would can try to catch on film the same meteor so we could triangulate its path and track its trajectory over through the atmosphere and figure out how fast it was moving and where it was coming from and uh, i you know enjoy doing that immensely uh, not because uh, it turned out that there was not that much known about meteor showers at the time uh, everything we detected was sort of uh, Exciting, a puzzle, strange, weird, <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, but also because this was just a, a fun group of people to be with. And uh, I could share my uh, enthusiasm, my excitement uh, with others. And uh, and that uh, has, you know, helped me throughout my career. Uh, I'm, I still am supported by those people that I was out in the field with observing those first meteors. Yeah, and now let's fast forward to now. Uh, you've compiled and written an incredible book. It's the Atlas of Earth's Meteor Showers. It's a very scholarly work and uh, just incredible science in it. Uh, I, I can't imagine this not being like one of the top books there can be in your science about meteors and meteor showers. Uh, how long did it take to, to do this? <laughs> uh, it took uh, three years just to write it, um, but um, I, you know this is really the product of uh, at least fifteen or twenty years uh, trying to map the skies uh, with the help of hundreds of people. I mean, I'm really not standing on the shoulders of one big giant, but of of you know many, many, uh, many, many giants that made this possible. And I'm just incredibly excited about it because this is a a, a, a young boy's dream come true. Yeah, I could, well, I would I would think that uh, for meteor scientists all over the world, this this book is going to be sitting on their shelves because it's it's very impressive. Congratulations on it. 
Thank you. Yeah. It's it's really uh, something that people didn't think was possible, you know, 20 years ago, uh, that that you could you can know what what streams and showers are out there in the sky that 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 uh, you have a you know a picture of all yeah. that and uh, we've we've populated the solar system with meteorite streams these all these years. Oh yeah, that's true. And um, we we'll get back to more of that you know a little later on. But let's let's kind of back up and and do a little meteors one hundred and one for our listeners um, because it, they are very accessible. Just about everybody's gone out under the night sky and looked up and seen what they might call a shooting star, a meteor. Um, first of all, the the term meteors. You know, it always kind of cracks me up that meteorology, the study of weather, and meteors have the same root there, but they're they're not the same thing. Where do, where does the term meteor come from originally? Yeah, they actually have the same root, and uh, and that's in part because uh, you know many things astronomers describe in the sky uh, goes back to descriptions on just what do you see in the sky, what, what do you uh, what do you notice? I mean, meteor comes from the, the Greek meteors, which means raised or lofty, you know, anything in the heavens, uh, sublime. There was a 18th century meringue candy called uh, meteors for that reason. Uh, it's um, it's the same root as meteorology in the, the atmosphere, what happens in the atmosphere. Yeah. And like a snowflake is a meteor in meteorology terms. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, let's talk about meteors from space. Uh there's three. Yeah, so that's the thing. Uh, meteors are from space. They they are really at the edge of space and our atmosphere. It's it's really the sort of the closest you can get to astronomy, <laughs> if you like, um, uh, uh, to uh, you know to space itself. Uh, in space are objects called comets and asteroids, and Comets and asteroids also described. They are just uh, the, the names come from from descriptions. Comets comes from cometus, which is long-haired star in Greek. Uh, asteroid comes from uh, something that looks like a star, uh, uh, you know, a little point of light. So the difference between comets and asteroids for past astronomers was um, one is a little looks like a little star moving in the sky, uh, rock in space, big one. A uh, comet is, um, you know, fuzzy. It uh, has a tail, uh, but it's basically also a rock in space, except, you know, stuff comes off it and makes it look uh, fuzzy. Yeah. Okay, and there's three kind of basic terms you could cover for us. Uh, meteoroid, meteor, and meteorite. So what's a meteoroid? Yes. Well, a meteoroid is a little bit strange term because you would say it, it's a meteoroid is like a meteor like a meteor um but what it really is is the the thing that causes the meteor so it's the little bit of uh, rocky material that moves at incredible speeds in space and then suddenly uh comes into the earth's atmosphere and collides with all these air molecules that creates a bright, bright light and uh, electrons and and that's what we call the meteor so the meteor is the light and the meteoroid is what causes it and then, what's a meteorite? A meteorite is literally a product from a meteor. <laughs> and so, you know, it's what is levered over, the stuff on the ground. If you find a rock uh, from something that survives this passage through the atmosphere, it's called a meteorite. And have you been involved in many, you know, hunts for meteorites before? 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole different story. Yeah. But why don't we just quickly, um, what are the different kinds of meteorites that people can find, that people find that search for them? And um, some of them are very valuable. So maybe just comment on the composition of different meteorites, because that's really interesting. It tells you the origin of where they came from. Yeah, so um, meteor showers are mostly from comets. Almost all the meteors you see at night uh, originate from uh, from comets. Uh, they um, are fragile, fluffy that, that go over a lot of debris. Um, and uh, those debris streams evolve into, uh, those debris clouds evolve into streams. Uh, we are crossing those and that gives us these uh, meteor showers in the sky. Meteorites uh, come from asteroids, and uh, they are, uh, you know, more solid material, rocky materials. Certainly, the stuff that survives going to the atmosphere, and uh, it's uh, more of a sporadic thing. So, yeah, if you see a very bright fireball in the sky, um, chances are it's not from a comet, but it's from um, a small asteroid coming in, and then chances are that maybe something fell on the ground. Yeah, and some of those can be quite valuable. Yes, uh, also for science, by the way. Yeah. Uh, meteorites uh, come in a, in a uh, range of varieties, but um, what's interesting to me is not so much the uh, the type of the meteorite as more as in uh, um, from what direction was it coming to us. Because uh, we're still trying to sort of figure out the source of these meteorites. So from what parts in the asteroid belt, the region between Mars and Jupiter, uh, do these rock, rocks come from? Do these rocks originate? Well, let's get back to those neat flashes in the sky uh, the, that are part of meteor showers, the meteors themselves, uh, and the meteoroids. People will be amazed, I think, when you tell them, and I want you to, about the size, the average size of these things that you see as quote-unquote shooting stars. They're not very big, are they? No, no. Um, just imagine, uh, you know, you go on your camping trip, uh, you're... Um, you're looking up at the sky, uh, you lay on a reclining lawn chair, you know, or just a blanket on the ground, put yourself dressed up warm in clothes, and uh, listen to this, the sounds of the night, and wait, watch, watch the skies. Don't sort of focus on one spot in the sky, but sort of, sort of glance at the, at, the, at the sky as a whole. If you wait long enough, Sooner or later, you see uh, suddenly a light flash uh, move rapidly by, sometimes um, moving more uh, statically. If it's a little star moving uh, along the sky, it's probably satellites, probably not a meteoroid. Uh, but if it's a streak, um, you know, a really a shooting star fireball, then uh, you have, you're talking about a little bit of material from a comet or an asteroid. That little bit of material is, you know, part of astronomy. So it moves with astronomical speeds. If the rock would just sit in space and uh, the Earth would uh, run into it, then uh, that alone would create a speed of uh, coming into the atmosphere of 30 kilometers in a second. So in a second, you're moving 30 kilometers. What is that, 20 miles? About so, yes. So because of these speeds, that's why uh, these uh, collisions have a lot of, uh, you know, what we call kinetic energy. Um, and a little bit of that energy goes into light. And so even a tiny speck of sand, a little uh, a pebble, can create a very bright light uh, in the sky that you can see. And so most of the meteors you see with the naked eyes are sort of a centimeter in size, a little bit smaller. 
depends on how fast they're coming in. The faster they go, the smaller they are, typically for a given brightness. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're talking very small, small bits. Uh, if you have a like a basketball-sized thing coming in, or a, you know, meter in size, uh, then you're really talking about a fireball, a big bright light in the sky that uh, you can see at the end fall into into pieces. Uh, that's uh, how a you know meteorite fall looks like. That's when a, a little asteroid comes in and and breaks into pieces and then maybe land on the ground. Yeah, and I've seen some of those are bolides is the te- technical term, um, those fireballs. And uh, yes. some, they can be very, very colorful and uh, quite dramatic. Yes, the Greeks call those uh, bolidos, uh, thrown spears. Ah. It's one of my spears. I think that's an uh, apt, apt, uh, apt description. Yeah, and it's just so amazing to me that the average meteor that you see, like you said, it's very tiny. It's like, you know, you could, you want to get a sense of how big that is, just take a pencil and make a, make a nice dot on a piece of paper. That's about the size of your typical meteor. There you are. Okay, well, uh, meteor showers are, are very interesting. That's what your, your incredible book is all about. Uh, why do we have meteor showers? They occur, you know, with regularity. Like I know if I go up in the mountains and go camping, like you said, around August 12th every year, I'm going to see the Perseid meteor shower. What are meteor showers and what causes them? Why are they so regular? Some meteor showers um, are regular in the sense that that they uh, show up every year. And the Perseids is a very good example. Uh, The Perseids uh, originate from a comet called um, uh, Swift-Tuttle. Uh, it's a big comet. Uh, the comet itself is uh, 26 kilometers in diameter. So we're talking about a rock 26 kilometers in diameter. If a rock that size, you know, if a, a, a comet that size uh, hits the atmosphere, uh, you're talking about a lot of kinetic energy and potentially a very dangerous thing. These comets, uh, when they come into the inner solar system, tend to sort of fall into pieces. Uh, they uh, eject particles they are the, the all of the you know the water ice um, stuff evaporates it sublimates it drags along dust particles and uh, creates a cloud of debris around the comet and that's what makes a comet a comet um, when the, this cloud of debris um, circles the sun and together with the comet it moves out uh, away from the sun to the outer parts of the solar system uh, some of these particles um, make a little bit shorter orbit coming back, and other particles make a wider orbit, so they go a bit further and before they're coming back. That difference in the orbital period and how long it takes to come back is what makes a cloud a stream. So this cloud, after one orbit, becomes uh, this sort of a river in the sky, if you like, except you don't have banks like in a, in a regular river. You have a, a group of bits of sand, debris, dirt, uh, moving in similar orbits. They all sort of move parallel to each other in a stream. And that stream uh, can be crossed by the Earth. If the Earth travels through it, then uh, suddenly we see from one particular direction, we see all these little bits and pieces of dirt coming towards us. And uh, if you're standing in the middle of that, then uh, that sort of gives the effect of, uh, you know, what you have in uh, uh, in Star Trek when you're in 10 forward, uh, you see these uh, all these stars radiating from direction the spaceship is moving in and that's that's exactly what happens we see these things uh, come from one point in the sky called the radiant they all sort of uh, the, the ones in the south move from uh, away from the east the northeast that's where the radiant is for the perseids 
the ones in the west move uh, away from the radiant and so on. So you can see them all over the sky, but they all they seem to sort of coming from one direction. And uh, if you if you triangulate the meteor, then you get the same effect. You can uh, you can measure from what direction it's coming, and you will find that uh, if you're you know, looking down on the Earth, you'll see that all these meteor tracks are parallel. They're all uh, coming from that same that same direction, and that's what makes uh, a meteor shower and a meteorite stream. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with astronomer Peter Yeniskus from the SETI Institute as we delve into the science of meteors and meteor showers. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot. And we're back. Let's return now to our look at the science of meteors and meteor showers with SETI Institute meteor astronomer Peter Yeniskus, author of the authoritative new text, Atlas of Earth's Meteor Showers. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about you know how you can go out and enjoy these because you know a lot of times people will hear on the news, oh, there's the, the, the Leonid meteor shower or the Orionid meteor shower or the Perseid meteor shower. And you know they might go out expecting to see you know just a constant barrage of shooting stars of meteors and they get disappointed you know because like for example the perseids you know usually get one on average about every minute and that means you know you might go several minutes without seeing anything and then you know a couple you know it averages out to be you know one a one a minute over the course of an hour um what's the best way for people who want to you know enjoy a meteor shower You, you know one of the things that cracks me up is i see on tv movies and things like that people's out watching a meteor shower with a telescope. And that's not how you yes. do it. If you just want to enjoy a meteor shower, what's the easiest way to do it, Peter? Uh, the nicest way is just, as I said, uh, it's just the nicest way to watch a meteor shower is lay on a reclining lawn chair or, uh, you know, put a blanket on the ground, huddle yourself warm, warmly up uh, and uh, wait. Uh, enjoy watching the sky. Enjoy listening to the night uh, nighttime sounds. Uh, and uh, and and wait, and uh, it will be quite a rush of adrenaline when suddenly something appears. And uh, of course, um, you can help yourself by uh, being in a really good dark location. So you want to have a clear sky, but you definitely want to be at a dark, dark place because then it's easiest to see also the faint ones. Yeah, the end. And it doesn't really matter how bright they are because the the you know the bright ones are a rush. They're just fantastic yeah. to watch. Uh, the small ones are, are really great too. They're fun. And uh, there are more small ones. Yeah, really fun. And a lot more small ones than there are big ones. Yeah. And, if- uh, and so it's, uh, you know, it's a sport. It's uh, like uh, fishing in a way. You know, you wait a long time and then suddenly you, you, you catch something and that's, you know, when your blood flows and when the, you get really excited. And, uh, uh, I, you know, in the old days, I used to have my uh, uh, star charts with me and I would, you know, make a record of the, the meteor and track it to how it moves between the stars and that's an it's a great way to uh you know uh, keep busy and uh, uh and have a uh, once you're done have a record that shows uh, what you saw and from those records you can in principle figure out what meteor showers there are in the sky um, but it's hard and people have done that for uh you know uh, almost 100 years and um really 
not advanced our knowledge of meteor showers that much. There was still, there was still a lot of debate uh, about what meteor showers are really out there. Um, if you go out in summer, you see the Perseids, very famous. Everybody will, um, will alert you to that. But if you pay attention, you'll see that some meteors are not coming from the constellation of Perseids, but they will come from constellation of Capricorn, for example, or the con constellation of Aquarius. And those meteors belong to other meteor showers. And we've now mapped over 500 different meteor showers throughout the year. So, so literally, there's a meteor shower for every night. And it's fun to go watch those, to, to, uh, to try and see meteors of a particular meteor shower and to identify what you saw, to actually, you know, when you see a shooting star in the sky, to figure out where did it come from. Yeah, because if you trace back the, you know, the path, if you just look at the path of the meteor and trace it back to where it came from in the sky, that's what you called the radiant. Uh, radiant. And uh, yes. like for the Perseids, that would be in the constellation Perseus. But you don't need to look at Perseus. Uh, you just no. look up no, no. and, you know, watch watch the meteors. Yeah. And, and you don't need anything except for, you know, like you said, a, a dark sky, no light pollution from nearby city lights, no moon out, hopefully. And if it's a nice dark sky and you can see the Milky Way, you're going to see meteors years pretty much any night of the year like you said um yeah. there there are such a thing though and and a lot of times people get you know disappointed by meteor showers because they're expecting more than you know than you get which and, and i love the fishing analogy because it really is like that you know you can you can be out there for quite a while and nothing and then all of a sudden boom you know here we go and then it gets very exciting um but there there have been meteor storms um like the leonids of 1833 could you tell us a bit about what that would be like so, so a meteor storm is uh, is something else. <laughs> uh, they, those are really uh, incredible events to witness. Uh, we had some some meteor storms in the you know around uh, 1998 to 2002 period. Um, some of which I saw, and uh, and they are just uh, spectacular to watch. Uh, it's literally. Uh, at times like you are in uh, Star Trek in, in 10 forward uh, when you just see several meters at the same time all sort of shooting away from this this radiant um, the meters are colorful they're red and green and yellow um, it's uh, it's quite a spectacle to see meteor storm now meteor storms are rare because um, normally these streams that form when a comet passes by in the inner solar system and and the particles come back um, they tend these streams tend to disperse they they, they um, uh, widen over time and uh, it's really when you encounter these sort of first uh, couple of returns of the of the dust that's when things are still sort of a, really a river really narrow narrow together um, but then of course there's also this problem that the river is is uh, narrow in, in time which is meteor storms usually take only about an hour or so um, but they're also uh, narrow in space in the sense that they can easily miss the Earth. So the Earth can easily pass just by it, uh, uh, have it go left or right of us instead of in our path. And uh, that makes uh, predicting meteor storms tricky. And uh, that uh, uh, that problem uh, persisted for a very long time, you know, predict meteor storms. And it's only uh, during the Leonids, beginning of uh, the century, that we, that we figured out, uh, you know, how to uh, forecast uh, these meteor storms. And uh, sometimes it works really well. If we've seen meteor storms of a particular comet in the past, then usually we, things are calibrated and uh, you can tell when something else uh, comes back. 
but when um, you haven't seen uh, particular storms uh, yet, or uh, you know, uh, then uh, uh, it depends on many things to really calculate precisely where that trail is relative to the Earth. So if you hear stories about you know big meteor showers, meteor outbursts, um, be ready for it. Go out, watch the skies, but uh, keep in mind that um, uh, you are at that point a scientist. You're you are helping <laughs> confirm things or deny things. You're you're helping uh, do observations that uh, tell tell us more about this particular comet and this particular stream, uh, so that we can be make better uh, calculations in the future. Well, let's go through the 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 major meteor showers. We've mentioned the Perseids. Um, starting, let's start with the Perseids, and then we'll get all the way through the year. They happen in August, and as you said, they yes. they are associated with the comet Swift Tuttle. Um, like, what are, what would be as we go through the calendar into fall? What would be the next really major meteor showers that people might want to you know circle on the calendar, go out and check it out if it's a clear night sky? Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, now we've now we've found that there is 500 meter showers in the sky. Uh, the cool thing is that you really don't do not need to necessarily go to certain times in the year to uh, to watch those. It's really a matter of uh, uh, finding a good dark sky and a good clear location uh, to see these meteors. Um, but uh, you know, if you want to see good numbers, if you want to not wait too long to see to see your next meteor, um, my uh, a favorite, you know, I grew up in the Netherlands, uh, Northern Hemisphere. Um, there is in spring, you know, after a long uh, winter winter break, uh, there is in spring a shower called the 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 Lyrids or the Lyrids. Uh, it's a, sh a shower called by a long period comet, Comet Thatcher, and it's one of few long period comets that gives a very nice uh, rich meteor shower. And uh, Comet Thatcher was seen in 1861, so we know the, we know the parent body. And it's also uh, one of those showers that sometimes does unusual things. The comet passes close enough by Earth's orbit for us to see these, you know, one revolution, two revolution type dust trails. And uh, so, so sometimes, uh, like in 1981, there was suddenly for uh, uh, an hour or so, there was uh, just a shower of faint meteors uh, all over the sky. <laughs> and it got a lot of people in uh, Florida excited at the time. Um, the Lyrids is uh, my, my favorite. Uh, it's really uh, sort of... Uh, uh, the thing that I, I uh, love to observe, uh, that's in April. That's around April the 22nd. Uh, then uh, going further into the year, um, I would say the end of July period is very interesting. There is uh, some showers called the Delta Aquarius and the Cap Capricornids. Uh, Capricornids are from an object called um, NEAT, N-E-A-T, named after the telescope that discovered the object. And that's an interesting object because uh, it looks like an asteroid. You would say it's an asteroid, but it's in a cometary orbit. And it's a comet. It, it, at some point in its past, uh, it had a lot of debris that came off it and that, that created our stream. And uh, this is an example where uh, meteor streams are not just caused by, you know, regular oozing out of comets uh, every year, but... Uh, from uh, sudden disruptive events where uh, the whole body breaks up big chunk. And uh, and that stream has evolved over time and it's uh, giving us uh, really nice sort of flary looking meteors, like a lot of flashes and um, and that makes the meteors themselves. And the meteors are also fairly slow moving, so it makes them really uh, fun to watch. Uh, so, so I think that's a that's a great shower to, to keep an eye on. And then of course there's the Perseids in, in August 
uh, going further um, in, into October, I really love an, a shower called the uh, Orgitz. It's a minor shower. Uh, you know, normally it's not much, but periodically uh, this also creates a very nice uh, meteor outbursts. Um, and, uh, you know, I've chased some of those with even airborne campaigns trying to uh, understand why they were caused. And they were caused by a comet called Keys. Uh, it was seen in 1911, also a long period comet. Um, so that's a, that's a fun shower that's around August 31st. Uh, then going further into um, October, beginning of October, there are the Draconids. Um, many years, there's just nothing there. Uh, but then um, suddenly, uh, you know, you can have this big outburst in the sky and uh, a lot of uh, slow-moving meteors. Also beautiful shower to watch. Uh, then further into uh, October, you have the Orionids. The Ryanets are from Comet Halley. It's a, yeah. a you know, 15, 15 kilometer sized comet, a big one. Uh, it's been around for a while. Uh, it creates a shower in um, October. It also has a shower in May on the other on the other node. So it's sort of uh, on the way out and on the way in. And, uh, and the Orionets uh, last for a number of days, uh, mostly faint meteors, but uh, good numbers. Um, uh, really big in ca in uh, video cameras. Uh, uh, turns out we can follow this shower for uh, pretty much the whole year. <laughs> it's really interesting how um, the uh, the Eta Aquarius, that's a shower in, in May from the Comet Halley, uh, sort of starts as a you know well defined shower uh, coming from one direction, and then uh, you know come uh, June and July, this thing is still there, but it's now. Uh, coming from a really diffuse area in the sky, almost uh, you know, part of the, the whole, what we call the apex source. And so, and then it evolves and then sort of fades away. And then, uh, and then in September, it starts again. And you see, uh, you know, diffuse clouds and uh, until it sort of tightens up into what we call the Orionids. And then the Orionids are visible until into November. But in November, the Torrids come. The Torrids are from Comet Enki. Uh, Torrids are sometimes spectacular meteors. They can also, every a couple of years, create these um, uh, periods when there's a lot of fireballs in the sky. And some of them can be very bright. And uh, those uh, showers are uh, very interesting because the comet is in a, a very short orbit as far as comets go, um, three and a half years of the period. Uh, means it's, uh, you know, decoupled from Jupiter. It's not so much, so much changed. The orbit is not changed much by the planet Jupiter, which has a lot of gravity. And um, and it's sort of uh, it's, it's been around for uh, you know about twenty thousand years. It's uh, it's streams that uh, again uh, are in November, but also in June on the other on the other note. And in the Torrids case, we have northern Torrids and southern Torrids. It's a challenge to sort of figure out the difference because this, the the components are not very far apart. Uh, but it's a it's both for uh, for visual observers to do that. And then going further into November, uh, there are the Leonids famous for big meteor storms. Uh, they are from Comet Temple Tuttle. Um, lovely, lovely showers. Uh, also periods of a lot of fireballs um, uh, from a component we call the filament. Um, other, so many years of very low activity, but then, you know, periodically it's really good. Uh, then uh, further into November, they have the Alpha Monoceratids. I'm very fond of that shower because uh, it, back in 1995, we predicted a return of the Alpha Monoceratids and it actually happened. Uh, we recorded it very well, and we were able to prove that that shower was caused by a long period comet, and it was caused by one of these streams moving in the path of the Earth. So until that point, people had thought that there was sort of like, you know, 
a cloud of dust that was, was going around every, uh, what is it, 10 years or so. Um, but, uh, but we showed, no, 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 uh, it's really the planets that move these streams in and out of Earth's path that, uh, that makes, that causes these showers to happen occasionally. And so that, um, that is uh, the Alpha Monoceratids. And then uh, going into December, there are the Geminids, um, really strong shower, a lot of, a lot of meteors, uh, rates from, um, like a hundred or 120 per hour more intense than the Perseids. Hard to observe because, uh, you know, now it's winter, uh, you know, often cloud, clouded out periods, uh, but uh, really worthwhile, the effort. It's also a shower that is strong at midnight, so you can actually see the shower very well all night long. With the Perseids, you want to you wanna be, you want to see the shower in early morning hours. That's when you, when you get the highest rates. In the evening, you get these long tracks, but not that many. In the morning hours, you get, you know, lots of them. Uh, with the Geminids, it's all all night long. I mean, I've done observing campaigns where we were out observing, and it was just such a barrage of meteors constantly that, you know, I was trying to hide in the car for a cup of coffee, and I still saw the meteors fall to the horizon through the windows. So it's a, it's a really uh, intense shower, and it's a very interesting shower because it uh, comes from a, an asteroid uh, called 3200 Phaeton. And Phaeton... Uh, looks to be like a primitive asteroid. Um, people have taken some radar measurements of it, and it looks like, a, you know, a, a jumble of, of rocks, a spinning top sort of thing, like the recent asteroids Bennu and Ryukyu uh, that were visited. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we don't quite understand how this meteor stream was formed. And Japan is doing a mission uh, in the years to come where they uh, plan to send a spacecraft there and go and look at this thing. And it will be very cool to see if we can sort of figure out how the Geminid stream formed. It's a, it's a very strong stream. It may not last because we we're thinking that over, uh, you know, um, 50 years, uh, the stream may have moved out of Earth's orbit. And so uh, we're only seeing it now because it happens to, the Earth happens to go right through it. And then uh, end of December, that the Ursids, which is a really fun shower, just nothing there in some years. And, and again, really nice showers occasionally. And then uh, in the beginning of January, there's a shower called the Quadrantids. And um, it's named after a constellation called Quadrants Muralis, which is uh, used to be there in the early 19th century. Um, the Quadrantids are uh, coming from a very high inclined orbit. So they, they um, come sort of from the poles. They're actually an underculmination at midnight. So you can only see them well in the early evening or in the early morning. So this is really sort of an early morning shower. A lot of faint meteors, uh, very intense, can go even more intense than Geminids sometimes, uh, but it varies. Uh, and it's, um, uh, you know, uh, for the longest time, we didn't know where it was coming from. And then in um, 2003, there was an object called, uh, 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 called it was, there was an object discovered called 2003 EH1. And, uh, and, you know, a couple of months later, I, I noticed that object in the, in all the among all the discoveries of asteroids that were reported, and I noticed that it was moving in the same orbit as the as the quadrantids, and so I I sort of rec I identified the, the object that uh, you know may still be a leftover, may, may be responsible for the stream, or or maybe a leftover of the comet that, that broke apart. So yeah.
If you're just joining us, our guest is Peter Yeniskus. Peter is a meteor astronomer at the SETI Institute in Mountain View, California, and we're examining the science of meteor showers. We're going to take a brief break, but stay with us. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot. And we're back, and thanks for listening to Blue Dot. Let's return now to our visit with SETI Institute meteor astronomer Peter Yeniskus, author of the authoritative work Atlas of Earth's Meteor Showers. It's interesting how uh, each each one of these meteor showers has its own personality. Uh, so so yes. that's what makes it cool to go out any time of year and look at meteors. Yes, look, uh, in, in a way it's like uh, watching birds, you know. Uh, you're, if, if you're a, a bird watcher, you're... Um, You'd love to see different different species. You wanna you wanna identify different types of birds, and I think that for the really uh, the meteor enthusiast, uh, if you go out at night and uh, you you can recognize a particular meteor shower and so on, that's that's really fun. Uh, you can uh, you know build up a, uh, build up a big year, have a have a a year when you go out uh, very often and uh, and and see all these different meteor showers with all these different characteristics. And that's sort of what a new book is about. It's like a birder's guide to meteor showers. And all the different personalities that each one has. It's like, like I said, it, it's it's amazing. Um, well, before we run out of time, and briefly as you can, um, can you talk a bit about meteor science? Why why is studying meteors important scientifically? So uh, meteors are. Um, uh, uh, Meteors are important scientifically because uh, these sort of centimeter-sized grains we cannot detect by other means. Uh, if uh, if you bring a satellite with a dust detector in space, it won't see these big ones. They're too rare. Um, and with, with meteor showers, we can uh, detect them. And uh, what we can see is we can see the presence of these comets that are that are dangerous potential impactors to Earth. So we can we can find in principle, uh, long period comets from the from their uh, trail of breadcrumbs that they leave. Uh, they also the meteor showers give us a, a history of what happened to the comet in the past. So it uh, it allows us to look back in time and see uh, how these uh, comets and uh, uh, primitive asteroids evolved. Uh, like for example, the Gemini shower. When was it created? Uh, how did it uh, did it come to be this way? And of course, meteor showers are. Interesting because they uh, bring material from space to Earth, and so they enrich the Earth uh, with materials, with uh, maybe the components we needed to get life started on, on our planet, or uh, you know the, the compounds that uh, make up uh, the rare elements in the Earth's crust. Yeah, and for people who manage satellites and things like that, there's also practical applications to knowing more about meteors, isn't there? Absolutely. Uh, meteoroids are dangerous. Uh, they are rare enough that you have to wait for them to, to see in the sky, uh, your big surface area. If you're a satellite out there in space, you're not protected. Uh, uh, when a meteoroid uh, hits you, uh, you know, uh, it's a, suddenly a lot of kinetic energy being deposited. It can create, a, the biggest danger is that it creates a plasma cloud and the plasma cloud can, uh, you know, damage your electronics. 
And as you said, there's, these, these objects are moving at very high velocities. So even a very tiny particle impacting um, the space station, the ISS, for example, it, it can, you know, it can be dangerous. Yes, and and uh, there are ways to to protect you against the the smallest of the particles, but it's really difficult to protect you against the ones that we see as meteors in the sky. And um, when you were compiling this book, uh, it was interesting reading about it. Um, the the technology that is used now, you know, compared to say a hundred years ago, to study meteors and showers and try to piece together the puzzle of where these meteors are coming from and their parent comets and things like that, like you've been discussing. Um, tell us a bit about the methodology now, about all the different ways that we we use modern technology to uh, study meteors and and monitor them. Yes, the, what, what made this book possible is the modern technologies, is the fact that uh, these days we have cameras everywhere. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, about 20 years ago, um, cameras were, uh, video security cameras were developed that could see the stars. And if you can see the stars, you can see meteors in the sky. And with video security cameras, you can set up, uh, you know, a surveillance of the night sky. And that's what we've been doing. So we've been taking uh, boxes of these cameras um, uh, all over the world. Um, we have boxes in the US, uh, Europe, United Arab Emirates, in Australia, Chile, um, in Namibia, South Africa. Uh, all these boxes uh, film what is happening uh, over our heads. And all that data comes together here at the SETI Institute. And we do all these triangulations, all these tracking the path of the meteor in the atmosphere and determining from what direction they're coming and how fast. And that has um, allowed us to map the, the, the meteor showers as they are. People also use radars. You can look at meteor showers with radars. Typically, with radars, you see smaller, smaller meteoroids. Uh, but it turns out that uh, from all the meteor showers that have been discovered, the uh, 513 or so meteor showers I'm describing in the book, uh, only 26 showers are, are uniquely detected by radar. So those are showers that are uh, mostly very... Uh, rich in faint particles and do not have a lot of bigger ones. Yeah, it's amazing how, um, and just, you know, looking at the, the, the massive amount of data in your book, uh, the, this has really revolutionized meteor science, what, in the past 15, 30 years? How, 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 long, how long ago was it before we really had the technology that enabled you to produce something like this? Uh, it's it's really from uh, around uh, 2007, 2010. That's when uh, when these techniques were first being used. So we're talking uh, the last uh, what is it, 10, 20 years. Uh, that's that's really the time that uh, that we could do this. And it's taken us a while, of course, to you know do this effort. And when you were compiling all of this amazing data, and you know, in the last say 10, 15 years in working on this book, you know, the last couple of years. Um, what, what were, were there a few things that you ran into that really surprised you? Yes, uh, a, lo a lot of things. Um, uh, that's what you do as a scientist. You sort of uh, push the borders of what you, from the things that uh, we know and that we don't know. And uh, uh, once you get to know things, then you go like, oh yeah, of course, you know. Of course, <laughs> it's not, uh, uh, of course. So for example, um, uh, people in the comet community knew that in order to understand how comets were scattering sunlight, how you get this fuss around the comet, uh, the comet uh, material had to have both, uh, you know, really sort of fluffy particles, really 
fuzzy, fuzzy little bits of rock and really compact bits of rock. You had to have both types of material in there. And uh, when, um, you know, Rosetta was visited, uh, uh, Rosetta visited the comet and, uh, you know, checked it out in, in person, uh, you you could see that too. You could see there were really sort of fragile materials and there were the dense materials. Well, it turns out that uh, we see that in our atmosphere. I mean, you can actually see uh, dense and fluffy materials come in. And, uh, you know, one group uh, starts uh, illuminating already high in the atmosphere. The other group penetrates deeper before they starts lightening up. So you can see these two groups of materials in, the, in our data. And so that uh, that is, you know, another sort of uh, way how you describe a bird, how you describe its feathers, its its plumage. <laughs> it, ma it makes it makes this shower what it is. It makes it as a characteristic of uh, the comet. It's, it goes back to uh, the physical properties of uh, the comet. How did comets form? What, uh, where, where did they originate in the solar, solar nebula? And so, um, so yeah, that's something um, that's something interesting that uh, that I learned. Um, we uh, we've gotten a lot of new information from looking at all these meteor showers. Uh, we've seen uh, showers uh, that are compact, showers that are dispersed. Uh, we've uh, made an effort to try and understand the ages. You know how old are they when they were sort of created? Uh, we looked at the properties of the meteoroids. What what uh, not just how, how st strong they are when they first start illuminating, but also, you know, how are they slowed down when they come into the Earth's atmosphere? Uh, the, some particles are slowed down, uh, diff more difficult, they just keep going, they're the sort of dense ones. Others are uh, easily stopped. And it turns out that uh, comet, different types of comets have different uh, densities, they have different uh, properties in their materials. And so, with the, with looking at meteors, we uh, we see the, the diversity that there is among comets. And with all of this meteoric meteoric, meteoric material, um, the these little bits of cometary fluff, if you will, and little bits of asteroids striking the Earth constantly, d does that material make it to the Earth's surface? Uh, surprisingly, it does. Um, uh, you know. Uh, People don't realize that, but uh, some of this uh, stuff uh, survives as little droplets and little um, uh, bits of material, uh, and it uh, gradually uh, sort of settles to the Earth's surface. Uh, if you um, uh, set up, uh, you know, uh, something that catches uh, dust in the atmosphere, uh, you'll have all the you'll find all the you know the stuff that pollutes our environment, but you will also find some of these little bits of material coming from uh, this cometary matter. Uh, uh, you can see that come down, and you can see that it settles to to the Earth's atmosphere, uh, to the to the Earth's surface. So when I and uh, and people uh, look for those things. I mean, uh, there are scientists in Antarctica, for example, that uh, melt uh, cubic meters of this of uh, snow uh, just to find the the few little specks of extraterrestrial matter that 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 settled down into the snow uh, uh, a long time ago so it's actually maybe possible that you know if i blow my nose on one given day i might have a little bit of halley's comet coming out of me there you That's are fascinating yes. and um is this kind of science does it because there's so much in the amateur astronomical community where serious Amateurs, they, they are doing real science, citizen scientists. Oh, yeah. are, are they involved in this too? Do, do, are there a lot of citizen oh, yeah. scientists doing media research? 
Oh yes, I would I would say uh, you know it's it's almost all done by amateur astronomers. I mean, it, this is um, these are the many shoulders I stand on. <laughs> uh, all all the ca the camera deploys, all the running these networks, the stations uh, uh, just keep it going for uh, you know fifteen years. Uh, that's uh, the work of dedicated amateur astronomers uh, that just love the skies and love to map the skies and uh, are part of. Uh, the results we're getting. So I'm trying to, you know, put as many as I can on the on the papers we are putting out. Uh, it's um, it's really something uh, a field uh, that is not just fun for meteors for for people to watch and and but but also fun to be part of. You can actually be a citizen scientist and collect uh, new data, useful data with very simple things like having a camera on your roof. Yeah, it's, ama it's amazing how many uh, amateur citizen scientists contribute mightily to our understanding of the universe. Yes. And um, what kind of reaction have you been getting from your colleagues in the uh, planetary science community, if you will, uh, to this epic work, The Atlas of Earth's Meteor Showers? Yeah, it's just out. So I'm uh, very uh, anxious to see how, how it will be received. Uh, so far, uh, the book seems to be doing very well on Amazon's uh, new releases in astronomy and astrophysics, so that's encouraging sign. Um, I, I, I hope I hope it's of, of use. Um, it uh, it ha helps people realize that there are all these objects in this, in the in the solar system, all these meteoroid streams that we uh, didn't know of in the past, and uh, that uh, tell us a story, that give us information. Uh, that can be uh, examined further and explored further, and that uh, uh, give us a, a guide to all the, the the parent bodies that are out there, all the comets and the asteroids and uh, and their evolution. Uh, so um, yeah, I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that it will do well. Well, uh, Peter Yeniskis from uh, the SETI Institute and Ames Research Center in Mountain View. Uh, it was really interesting to talk to you about meteors and you know find out all about these fascinating objects that people think of and call shooting stars that are just so fun to see. Uh, and the, there's you know some really cool, interesting science being done. And just congratulations on compiling this incredible work. It's uh, it's quite it's quite the magnum opus of meteor showers, if you will. Thank you. Thanks again to our guest, SETI Institute meteor astronomer, Peter Yeniskis. His new book, Atlas of Earth's Meteor Showers, is the definitive work on modern meteor science and should be sitting on the shelves of professional and very serious amateur planetary astronomers everywhere. Blue Dot is a production of North State Public Radio, a service of Cap Radio in beautiful and talented Northern California. We're distributed by PRX. If you want to revisit, share, or check out past episodes, you can do just that on our website, mynspr.org. And while you're at it, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode on our website, the NPR One app, or wherever you get your podcast groove on. The theme music, Big Wave Dave, is by Matt Schiltz. Blue Dot is engineered and produced by the maestro, Matt Fiddler. For all of us here, I remind you there that from deep space, we all live on a pale blue dot.